music at a better world to Beethoven. Mozart was no slouch, but now we've moved on to Beethoven. And also at the beginning of this year, I have invited back one of my favorite old-time friends and colleagues, Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist who has been taking the world by storm from his wonderful (laughs) residence out in New Zealand where he is perched above the world and can see from a different vantage point, a different purview, all that is happening. And in a sense, it's biological perfection. And we'll be getting into that. That will be the subject of today's show. Those of you who listen with any regularity know that uh, Bruce has been teaching us all for decades at this point about this intimate relationship between belief systems, our emotions, our thoughts, and cellular reality. Yes, yes, yes. He has been instrumental in helping us understand to graduate, if you will, to the understanding of the mind's relationship to the body and vice versa by the way and it's we owe bruce really a tremendous debt of gratitude for what he has done in bringing the scientific basis of what it is i am saying to the foreground in the form of something known these days as epigenetics and this is that intimate relationship i was referring to as well as in cultural enculturation relative to our cellular life, our bodily somatic life. And we'll be getting into that, but we're going to be looking initially at a very interesting subject that Bruce was just sharing with me about. And that has to do with the relationship of biology and nature to our economy. Bruce, first of all, welcome back to A Better World, my friend. So great to have you. My my dear brother, I am so happy to be here with you. I love your audience because out there are the seekers, the people that are questioning the situation and looking outside the box for the answers. And, of course, that's where the answers are. Inside the box, uh, that's a dead zone at this moment. Uh, and, and so I want to thank you yes. for this opportunity to speak to this very important audience because this is where evolution is going to come from. This audience, these people are saying uh, the answers are not in the conventional world. There's a new world evolving, and and that was going to be really helpful because our conventional world at this moment is facing what science has recognized as a fact that we are facing what is called the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet. Just a, it's a six. It means we've had five previous times life was thriving on this planet. Some event happened, like an asteroid hitting the Earth. Uh, and it upset the whole ecosystem, and from 70 to 90% of life on this planet got wiped out. So the last one 
uh, was when the dinosaurs got wiped out by uh, uh, a comet that hit the Earth. Uh, and, and when was, was that? 300 million years ago. About 300 mm-hmm. million years ago. Uh, and uh, that was the fifth one. So here we are uh, now facing the sixth one. Uh, here's a simple fact. Uh, if you were alive in 1970, they took a survey of how many animals are on planet Earth, and they came out with a number. And they just recently redid the survey, uh, and over 65% of the animals are dis- have disappeared. We're left with oh only one-third of the animal life. So uh, officially, that puts us into a mass extinction. Uh, but if animals think of it, here's the one that's freaky. The uh, fish will be out of, there will be no fish in the ocean by 2040. Uh, uh, so uh, that's, that's not like a million years from now. That, that, that's coming up. Uh, we already lost 90%. Uh, and, a, and an interesting number came from Germany this year. For 27 years, they've been doing population counts on insects in their national parks. Uh, and this year, uh, over the 27 years now, 75% of the insects are gone. So uh, w- this is not an idea that we're facing extinction. This is a, a scientific reality. But th- why I'm bringing it up to the audience right now is simply that uh, science has recognized the cause of the sixth mass extinction, And it's human behavior. We have so undermined the web of life and undermined each other as part of our own world. Humans are undermining humans. Uh, uh, And so uh, we're facing extinction. We are causing it. And so basically it says, well, you want to survive? You have to change the way we are living on this planet. It's not sustainable. And uh, we're, we're facing an upheaval. Either we change or we die. And it's not like a thousand years from now, it's within a century that human civilization will probably face a terminal expression uh, if we don't do the changes right now. And it's virtually so imminent. Happy to be with you. Happy because I thank know, you, Bruce. Uh, you and yeah. I, you and I are both out there with a megaphone saying, "Hey, <laughs> we, exactly. We do something." <laughs> So the sky is falling. Here. The sky is really falling. We're not kidding. It's really falling. falling. When you mentioned, Bruce, uh, 65% of animals, is that in quantity or what is that in species? And Or if it's quantity, quantity, what are we looking well, at it with species? Well, uh, species are disappearing left and right. I mean, now when you can start to count the number of tigers, <laughs> when you actually there's a number, a small number, uh, and a small number of elephants, and a small number of this and that. If Rhinoceros? A small number. We're, uh, yeah. Then it says, You're in uh, trouble. You see what's happening? It's right there in front of your face. It's right there. That's and, right. And it's That's interesting right. because uh, you and I both uh, uh, laugh over what people are, are uh, fear of because they see the world changing in front of their face, things falling apart. The, the system seems to be totally broken. Uh, and people yes. are nervous. They wake up and go, oh, my God, what's the future? Look, at these things are, are falling apart all around us. I, I want people to stop just for one minute and recognize this is a very exciting time. Uh, and the reason is simply this. The culture, civilization that we're in right now is not sustainable, and that's what's causing the extinction. To move from yes. this culture, we have to live in a new way. So it says, well, culture A has to shift into culture B. Well, the problem with that is you can't just do this overnight. Uh, You have to dismantle A as you're building B. And this is a period of chaos that occurs uh, when you're going from one structure to another structure. 
So right now when you wake up today and you look at the world, it's like it's in chaos. Uh, chaos does not mean random. Chaos is a pattern. There's a disassembly yes. of A and simultaneously an assembly of B. Now, a reassembly, me, exactly. Yep. A reassembly in a different, uh, in a sustainable way. So our audience out here right now are what I refer to in my lectures as cultural creatives. Everyone listening essentially is a cultural creative. Why? They're looking at ways to move from A to B. Uh, and, and, and I need people to understand, A has to fall apart. If it doesn't, then the game is over anyway. So when you look at the world, you say it's falling apart. Instead of being in fear, it's like, oh wow, this is great. <laughs> because that's right. This is the next step is in our evolution. And as you probably know, Bruce, at the bottom of my email signature, I quote a few people, among whom is one of our favorites, Buckminster Fuller, who said, "Quote." You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Been Hello, for a I, we lost you there for a moment. Say that again. Oh, well, can you? Can you? Isn't it wonderful? You, know, it's really you said. Wonderful. Yeah, yes. the, the people have known about this, and and it's not new, and it's not that you should be afraid. Like this just happened that this is part of a dynamic process. So uh, we can focus, as most people unfortunately are doing, are focusing on the one coming down, but they're not focusing as much on the one that's being built up. That's and, being and, built, and that's exactly. Why, yeah, and so uh, that's why this opportunity for you and I to talk, and especially for our cultural creative audience, uh, is look, True. Uh, we, we can talk about all the things that are wrong, and yet we can talk about, guess what? People are coming together collectively, polar opposites, Democrats, Republicans, are. are coming together saying neither way that it was running up to now is sustainable, Works. and we need another way out. And that is the most hopeful experience that we can have on this planet right now. Uh, it's really so true. if you're not happy with the, the current political situation, uh, uh, I am – not happy with the details of it because I I watch it and it makes my gut cringe. Yes. But on the other hand, I yeah. also know if we're not doing this, our future is much worse. So uh, well, at least you're watching it from. You're at least watching it, Bruce, from New Zealand, which is a fantastic <laughs> vantage point. And we have listeners, by the way, from Australia, South Africa, South America, Europe. Uh, even I think China, it's fantastic. So you being the, you know, the stellar light internationally, I'm sure that the people <laughs> around the world recognize who you are, and, uh, which I think is fantastic. I, I and that just it's, gives it's you more me. of a megaphone a for reaching it's people. It's a story. That's right. But I want to also I, mention uh, – yeah. From a, from a biological point of view, and of course you're the master here and I'm the student, but I'd like to bring forward uh, the work of Ilya Prigogine, who, uh, in my understanding of what he contributed to the same idea, is that when there's a perturbation in the system, like sand in an oyster is the typical uh, analogy, that throws the system, the existing system off 
and it then reassembles, as we were both just saying, into a higher level of complexity and order and organization, which obviously can function at a higher level. And the way we're functioning right now is from the reptilian brain. And yet, interestingly, we still have a mammalian to get to, and we have a, we have a neocortex, you know, yahoo! That'll be a great day when we're all living out of those higher brains, you know? Prefrontal cortex, man, coming right up, you know? And, you know, we would have a different world. I'd love to hear your comments. Well, that's exactly what the whole idea is, is that since, uh, you know, it's interesting. Here's a fact. We have all these different sciences. We have physics, we have mathematics, biochemistry, psychology, biology, all these. The most valid of all the sciences on this planet is quantum physics. There is no science that has more truth in it. And I say, well, why is it relevant? And I say, well, the fundamental premise is that we are creating this experience with our consciousness. We're creating this world. And why that's so interesting is I go in a classroom and I have all the students. I say, look, this is the nature of quantum physics. It says that we are creating this, uh, and therefore we have a responsibility to this. Uh, and then they walk out of the classroom and they go back into their old conventional life. And I say, this is not a choice. that It's your choice to either create or be a victim. Uh, you are a creator. That's not a choice. No matter what it is, conventional or otherwise, right? Very good That's point. That's exactly right. So when, when do we own it? When, the moment you own it is the moment you get empowered. Because if I am creating this consciously, then I have to change my consciousness to accommodate what I want versus the programming of consciousness that we all received in the first seven years of our lives. Everyone has been programmed. Uh, exactly. And the reality about it is we, we have to, am I really creating? The answer is, it's, it's not, uh, are you creating? You are. That's physics. And that's the truth physics of quantum physics. So it is incumbent upon us to stop being the victim, which we have been programmed to experience, and let go of that. And, and, and it's not so easy because the, the key word in here was programmed. <laughs> uh, yes. All humans are programmed uh, to get off the ground. Uh, uh, my analogy I give in my lecture is simple. I go to the Apple store. I buy a brand-new iPod. I spend a lot of bucks. I open up the box, and on the front of the iPod, it's called the touch screen, which is like the conscious mind. It's creative. Make a playlist, adjust the volume, the EQ. It's creative. Uh, and I say, so I get my brand-new iPod, take it out of the box, and on the touch screen, I push play, and nothing happens. And there's this old guy, irritated. He just spent all the damn money, and the damn thing isn't working. And a little seven-year-old kid comes up to me and yanks on my shoulder or sleeve and says, hey, mister, you can't play anything until you download something. And it's like, ah. Until there's data data in the memory base, you cannot be creative. And so it's interesting because biology uh, reveals this is the nature of human life. A child has a conscious mind which is creative, but it only kicks in at age seven. And, it, and the reason is this. Until there's a database to be creative with, you can't That's use right. consciousness. Uh, sure. So the analogy, again, is uh, uh, imagine a baby could speak the moment it's comes out of the birth canal. And so a baby is being born. And we're all around just like the finishing line at the NASCAR 400 there or whatever. And we're at the finishing line. The baby's coming out of the birth canal. We go, hey, tell us something. And the baby looks around and goes, I can't tell you. I don't know anything. I just got here. 
Uh, and so basically, that baby <laughs> has to get programmed, yeah. and the child's mind for the first seven years is in a record, uh, like a video recorder. Mode. Whatever it sees yes. goes directly into subconscious program. So all of us, by biological law, <laughs> have been programmed yes. by observing Correct. other people. So the fundamental behaviors in our subconscious didn't come from us. They came from other people. And and so you say, yeah, but I'm going to use my conscious mind and be creative. And I go, good idea. But in reality, uh, only 5% of our life is controlled by our creative conscious mind because the disconnect is when you think the conscious mind stops paying attention to the outside because thinking is an inside job. And so it's like driving a vehicle. Your body is a vehicle. Your conscious mind is the driver. And if you're using your conscious mind, you can drive the vehicle anywhere you want. You can make heaven on earth if that's your destination. But the problem is when we think, which is 95% of the day, uh, we let go of the wheel and the subconscious is autopilot. I said, yeah, but where's it going to take you? I said, wherever the program was. And then I go, yeah, but 70% of the programs are disempowering, self-sabotaging, negative programs that limit us. And so it says 95% of your day, you are invisibly playing these programs because conscious mind is occupied thinking. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, I hate to use all this valuable time that we have here, but if I give one story. No, this is so good. This is very good. This well, this this lays out the yeah. groundwork for people to recognize the larger picture regarding the functioning of their mind and brain together. By the way, the brain slash nervous system, and this is the way it works. Right. So there's nothing wrong with being programmed. In fact, you made it utterly clear, and we both know you have to be programmed. That's your fundamental data for making the change. You've got to have clay in your hand in order to shape a sculpture. Otherwise, you can't do it out of thin air. You need the material, right. and, and then, the program's and then, the material. Yeah. And so then you look at the, it's not a bad the thing. Of those programs, it's just we yeah. have been programmed to be disempowered because all the, we're, we're programmed, exactly. oh, I'm frail, I'm vulnerable, bacteria get me, sugar could kill me. I go, you get, aren't you the same people that walk across hot coals? <laughs> and yes. you did that with your conscious mind. <laughs> Uh, and I'm one of them, and, by the way. Absolutely. And people think, oh, well, that's not really that hot. And I go, yeah. How many people who start the walk let go of their conscious control, and then when the subconscious kicks in, it's like, oh, that's fire, right. burn, heat. And the moment that's they let right. go of the conscious control, they immediately get burned. And that's a great example of the power of the conscious mind that we are not frail and vulnerable, but we believe we are in subconscious, and then you become that 95% of the day. So we've all been disempowered by programming. As I said, uh, the Jesuits have known this for 400 years by telling us, give me the child for the first seven, and I'll show you the man, which was exactly saying, I'll put a program in for seven, and I'll control the rest of your life. That's basically what it's all about. So, so all I'd of like us, to ask you, uh, though. So this is a, Yeah. No, you want to yeah. finish that point? Please do. Yeah, let me just and then I'll because ask. the whole roundabout was to get to the story I've said for thirty years. So because the audience gets it, and I say this you, now, you got it. And here's what the story is. Yes. I'm sure somewhere in your growing up, you had a friend, and you were very close to your friend. You knew your friend's behavior very well, and you happen to know your friend's parents. 
And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parents, and this, of course, excites you, and you need to tell your friend. So you go like, <laughs> hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then I say, the moment you say that, you back away from Bill because Bill gets, you know, uh, angry and says, how can you compare me to my dad? And that's when everybody laughs. And I say, that is the most profound story I can tell you in one minute for this reason. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who doesn't see it is Bill. I go, well, how does that work? I say, because A, he was programmed by his dad. B, 95% of the day he's thinking, which means his conscious mind is not observing, and he's playing those programs. So he plays the program of his father, but he's the one who doesn't see it because the reason he's playing it is his conscious mind's busy. And now the conclusion of that is this. We are all Bill. There's not one person out there who is not Bill. Uh, And that means all of us are playing these programs and we don't see it. And I say, and the net result is, well, when life doesn't work out, we look around and say, but I wanted to have success and it didn't work. So we look at that and go, oh, the universe didn't give it to me. Nature didn't give it to me. I'm a victim of circumstances. I go, no. You're a victim of the invisible programming that has disempowered you. Absolutely. And when you start to recognize that, the, the answer is, well, what do you do? I say, reprogram. That's right. <laughs> and when you reprogram, right. change the entire life. And the, I mean, this is your program that you've been talking about for years in a better world. Absolutely, that, because this is where there. the entire field of psychology and psychoanalysis, for that matter, is predicated on exactly this idea. I mean, one of Freud's great contributions was to bring forward um, – a general understanding of the idea of the unconscious. And, uh, you know, he deserves full credit for that. And then, of course, people like Jung and others uh, have um, kind of elaborated upon it, and we've got a deeper understanding as a result of all of these really wonderful thinkers and observers. And then, well, you know, fast forward, and we end up with something like neuro-linguistic programming, very aptly named, because it's talking about how we've gotten programmed in our early lives, and more than anything, because that's an old story, the newer story is how rather easy it can be to reprogram. And that's just even saying it makes it even more possible and viable just by representing that <laughs> idea that it's easy. You know, I studied, Bruce, with Richard Bandler, one of the founders of NLP. And he used to say to us, if you're going to study hypnotherapy and NLP with me, which we were doing, uh, he said, I want all of you to have a second profession already selected because you're going to be able to help so many people so rapidly that you're not going to have any business anymore, and I want you to have a fallback position. Some of you may want to be musicians or presidents. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. And, of course, when you you organize your mind like that, you know, you're – potential becomes immediate, right? Absolutely. And I don't think you'll run out of people to help because uh, there's, uh, you know, about 7 billion people out there. Most of them I know, I know. It's just he was, being, he was being funny. He, his, real, his real purpose was to be a comedian, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but I wanted to bring, <laughs> come back to something which 
you were outlining, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, not being a victim. And when we say we're not going to be a victim, we're not going to be a victim to anything. However, that is, and I want to hear what you have to say about this, counteracted to some extent by the laws of chemistry. So let's just, you mentioned sugar. Let's just take a look. Sugar metabolizes in the body according to a certain principle. And uh, certain foods, you know, for instance, will allow us to have more oxygen in a cell or less oxygen in a cell, more nutrition or less. So how does this idea of being master of our own ship, say, captain of our own ship, relate then to even our own body's biological chemistry? Well, the first thing you said is when the sugar is inside and metabolized, that blah, 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 that was the rest of it unfolding. The question is yes. this. The sugar didn't have to come inside. You could eat sugar and not take it inside. Uh, let's clear up a, a little point because I'm sure there's oh. more confusion here. The digestive system is a pipe. It opens at the mouth, and it's a pipe all the way to the anus. What's the point about mm-hmm. it? The, anything that's inside the pipe is not inside your body. It's, there's a pipe. You put it in at the top. It goes oh. down the pipe, and the leftover okay. comes out at the bottom. And I go, yeah. well, what's the point? I say, well, anything in the lumen or the space on the inside, anything in your stomach is not in your body. Why? It's, that's the, the inside of the pipe. You have to take Correct. it across the wall across the wall of the digestive tract. That's called absorption. Yes. The membrane, the yeah. absorption, the you know, picking up the nutrients. Well, uh, here's, a, here's a simple exactly. fact. That Assimilation. It, like, it, it'll blow your mind, and it goes like this. Down south, we have uh, fundamentalists work themselves up into religious ecstasy, and they do something mm-hmm. called testify. Testify is to do stuff that no normal person in their right mind would ever think about doing, sort of like <laughs> a handful of rattlesnakes playing with a handful yes. of rattlesnakes. These are snake handlers. Right. But, well, that's crazy, and even most of them get bitten and have no, no, no effect of that, although about three months ago, one of them died. But most of the time they get bitten, there's no effect. But let me tell you, here's the one that when you get this one, it changes your world if you understand it, and it's this. Some of them testify that God protects them in this state by drinking strychnine poison in toxic doses. What's the relevance? They drink this poison and have no adverse effects. Now, all of a sudden, you say, how? I say, because drinking the poison didn't mean it came into your body. It was still in the pipe. And so the simple reality is whether I drink strychnine poison, whether I eat sugar, whatever the heck I'm eating, first it has to cross into the body to be affecting me. And crossing into the body is not a screen. Everything that went by the screen came into the body. It's selection. The body selects from what you've eaten to create a body that you have in your, in your consciousness or your subconsciousness, really. If it's a healthy vision of a body, then it's going to leave the toxins in the digestive system and only take out the useful products. But if you have a, a dysfunctional programming, uh, it, will, it could take out anything to make that dysfunctional expression. And that's when you've got to be careful of your diet because – your diet then is going to manifest that, that expression, a positive one or a negative one. But as I said, when they got into the state of consciousness and said, look, I'm going to drink poison and God's going to protect me, what, that was a feedback to the system says, look, uh, don't take the poison in. And then what happened? They ate the poison and they, and they never got sick. Uh, so what does it mean? Well, 
it, you, how about sugar? Why don't you have that in your head? I'm not letting the sugar in. Oh, okay. <laughs> that will so not be taken up either. So it's just so interesting, of course, Bruce. We become. Yes. What's that? Yes, exactly. So, in other words, but what we actually become is the vision that we have inside our conscious and especially subconscious mind. So, if you have a vision of a healthy body, you're saying, uh, and you do eat things that are considered to be not good for you, uh, it will stay in the pipe which in Chinese medicine we refer to those as external organs, interestingly. They are actually external to the yin organs, like the liver and the spleen and the pancreas, yep. kidney. Yep. You know because what I mean? It's kind of interesting. So even though it's internal from what point of view, it's inside one skin, it's external to everything else. In other words, all internal and externals are relative to each other. So... It's Absolutely. just another way and of understanding what you're physics. saying. Yes. And just go back to the physics. You're creating through consciousness. So what's your consciousness? Is it a healthy consciousness? Is it a, a loving consciousness? Or is it a needy consciousness? Is it a consciousness that feels vulnerable, a consciousness that feels I have no power? Uh, why? Because whatever the heck the consciousness is, it's the expression of life. And, and it's fun because almost everybody's out there seeing the movie The Matrix. Uh, and the yes. story of The Matrix is everybody's been programmed. Uh, but there's a chance to take a red pill or a blue pill. If you take the blue pill, uh, you stay in the program, and life is always just the way it's been. Or you take the red pill, and you can get out of the program. And what most people don't realize, that's why I've written a book called The Honeymoon Effect, is yeah. your life could suck every day, and then you meet this special person, you fall in love, and 24 hours later, you're living heaven on earth. The food's great. The music's <laughs> great. The love is wonderful. The environment, everything yeah. is white. In love... We, we have a different manifestation of a vision. I go, so wait, heaven on earth can occur 24 hours after you meet somebody. And I go, and how did that happen? And science has now recognized when we fall in love like that, we stop playing the program. We stay mindful so that our conscious mind stays in the front holding the wheel and not thinking, which means we're not turning over programmed autopilot which means then you're driving the vehicle to where you want to go. And I go, well, what was the consequence? I said, the moment you stop playing the program, you created heaven on earth. I said, it's always been that way, except the program gets in the way. So you could be born with the right parenting. The parents that would give us those fundamental programs in the right parenting means you could wake up every day and have a heaven on earth life experience like you just fell in love, like a honeymoon, every day of your life if you got programs that were good. And then, of course, as Absolutely. we just said, but if you got programs that suck, you can rewrite them, and all of a sudden you say, <laughs> well, then I'm not a victim of the program. And I go, that's why we're here. If we learn to rewrite the program, then we learn how to be creative, empowered individuals and create a world based on love and not the Darwinian world that we adopted that says life is a struggle and a survival competition and all that, that we fight each other, sure. that it's based on the individual, screw everybody else. It's the, you know, it's the survival of the fittest. Me and against so, them. What about every? Yep. And, exactly. And so is everybody is together. <laughs> so it's you're, you're making theory is counter. It's a very profound point. I mean, all of them. However, I'm, I'm just reverting back to the one of mind and consciousness 
overriding the conventional understanding of chemistry. That's what we're talking about here. Effect. Isn't that called placebo yes. effect? That's correct. Placebo effect says That's you've correct. got this illness, uh, and, and then you're sold a bill that this is the greatest, newest medication. It's going to absolutely – you believe it now. You take the pill, you get better, and then you find out it was a sugar pill. So you're left with a very and it works like a charm. So important, absolutely. And the placebo is just a demonstration of what is the consequence of having an unimpaired positive thought, and that is you can manifest it. Uh, And and while we're on that, why it's important? Yes. Yeah. Go. go. Oh, I was just going to say the work of. uh, Milton Erickson, Dr. Milton Erickson, psychiatrist from a wheelchair who had polio, and the work of Dr. Ernest Rossi, and uh, more recently, uh, Joe Dispenza's work, who's been on the show a number of times. You are the placebo. The scientific uh, research into placebo effects is formidable, and it shows how the mind is governing the effect of the chemicals in our body. And it is a life and death matter oftentimes where one can is actually will oneself, envision oneself, I'd rather say it that way, envision oneself to live instead of die. Absolutely. You know, the, my poster child example is a dear friend of mine, Anita Morjani, and she wrote the book, mm-hmm. Dying to Be Me, who I presume you must have talked about this. Uh, here's a woman yes. who had cancer for four years, was on, a, uh, on her last week of life on machine support because her system has failed. She's so emaciated yes. that lumps of cancer are sticking out of her skin. She goes into a coma. Her oncologist calls the family and says, when my patients go into that coma, that's pretty much the end. And in yes. this out-of-body experience that she had, she saw that her life was so shaped by the anger and fears and emotional problems of letting her family down. Uh, and, and she had a communication with her father who had passed. And, and yes. he said, no, I love you. I love you. And, and, and she came back into her body and was immediately off the life support machines. And within two to three weeks, virtually all the cancer was gone. And within five weeks, I think all of the cancer was gone. Yes. And she came back from the very last day of life, according to her That's oncologist, right. that she pushed that thing to she's dead. And in just a change of mind, came back with once that uh, psychological pressure was off of her, came back and immediately reversed terminal cancer. And I go, that just shows you how powerful that thought is, that a person on their deathbed could turn around uh, and have this wonderful life that she has today. And and the second important part about this placebo effect Mm -hmm. is – Well, everyone says, oh, yeah, positive thinking healed me with the placebo effect because it wasn't the sugar pill, so it was positive thinking. Uh, I need to emphasize this for for all of those people out there. We always talk about positive thinking when it comes to placebo effect, but what about negative thinking? This is the critical nocebo that nobody talks about. The nocebo effect says a negative thought can create every disease possible just on the thought alone, as much as placebo can heal any disease possible based on a thought alone. And why it's relevant is nobody talks about the fact that the vast majority of all of our thoughts are negative and disempowering, self-sabotaging thoughts. And it's like that thought is manifesting reality. So as much as a placebo manifests a reality, we must say 
You know when you have that negative thought? You have just turning your world into a, a That's right. And, exactly. Uh, it's the most powerful thing for people out there to recognize. It's Man, really if you a, believe it's not going to happen. It's remarkable. Yes. I know the that's, story that's of Anita critical. Mojani, and I love it. I've read the book. In fact, she was uh, supposed to be a guest on the show. We have to uh, still organize and uh, orchestrate that. I want to let everybody know you are listening to uh, Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. We are on every, well, typically Wednesdays, but it doesn't really matter these days. In the days of TiVo and everyone just uh, listening into a podcast whenever they want to. So we're on every week. But on television, we are on here in the Big Apple every Monday evening at 7 p.m. It is viewable on television here in Manhattan or If you are elsewhere, like New Zealand, you can tune in on our website, www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, where you can also get our free newsletter, sign up and become part of a better world community and family. It's free. It announces our shows. I write the blogs, and we have all sorts of events and fun things happening here in the greater New York area. So please become part of our world here. May I give a little bit? Please. May I give a little bit of support to the program? I know that's happening after this live, so I don't know if uh, people are watching this on on a recorded version. Uh, The live version is you're going to have uh, one of my favorite dear friends, Jude Curvan, uh, coming up. And and we were just talking about quantum physics. And you, you just have to listen. He's on the TV version yes. uh, because you're going to get an opinion from a, a quantum physicist to, that in, supports everything that we've just been talking about. The, the, what we're talking about is, is not just a, hey, that's a neat new age idea. <laughs> what no. we're talking about is this is the current reality of our world. And if people understand it and recognize the matrix and recognize that you can take a red pill and the moment you get out of the program, all of a sudden, that heaven on earth manifests itself. It says, well, it was always there, except yes. that we got limited by the, by the subconscious programming. Exactly. I so appreciate your saying all of that. I became very friendly with Jude while she was in New York for a certain uh, spell there, and we had a lovely time. She came into our studio, as you have, going back to the early 90s, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and... Uh, and uh, Jude, it's good for all of you to know, studied with Stephen Hawking at, uh, I believe it was Oxford or Cambridge, pardon my ignorance, but uh, one or the other or both. And she is a true consummate uh, scientist and cosmologist, as you were just saying, Bruce. So when she speaks about quantum physics and information you come to another level of understanding and your mental awareness can begin to drip down into your body and you can live in the reality that bruce you are so eloquent about well you know it's kind of fun because uh as a conventional scientist when i was back teaching in medical school and all this 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 sounds so airy fairy everything i'm talking about but once uh, I learned from the I learned from the cells, and that was the interesting part. I I did not yes. seek spirituality because I said, oh, I, I'm spiritual and I want to find science of it. I was no, at, quite the I, contrary. I was against spirituality. I was a you were a materialist. A uh, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. But once 
I started observing the cells that that those stem cells and cloning them and and observing them. They taught me. They taught me about oh my god, everything I'm teaching in that medical school classroom is now so incorrect <laughs> that I actually had to. I, I left. I had tenure at the university. I had to, I walked out realizing if I go in that classroom and keep teaching that people are victims of their genes. Uh, it's a disservice to civilization because right. I'm making victims. I don't want victims uh, because I was a victim my own self. Uh, and once the, I started to walk in the footsteps that the cells were showing me, my life transformed so much that uh, I didn't seek spirituality. It was thrust upon me more or less yes. because uh, of understanding the nature of the cells. Uh, once I started walking that path, and with the knowledge of my creative capabilities, I never have turned around again. Uh, you know, I, I want to say, Mitchell, uh, um, I've had the most wonderful life by being a student of cells and putting this into my life. Uh, I haven't had a physician for 20-plus years. I haven't even had health insurance. Uh, uh, but, of course, uh, a few years ago, I passed the 65 mark, and they thrust it upon me. Uh, actually, I paid for it. Yes. It wasn't entitlement. I paid Social Security. Uh, yes, but it's interesting uh, because I still don't go to a doctor. I've been I'm now sure. 73, uh, and I haven't even used 10 cents of my Social Security money yes. uh, for doctors because once people start living the way you and I have been describing, the empowerment part says sickness is not necessary on this planet. That, that's a yes. creation. So, exactly, uh, exactly. I enjoy being with you. And it's so interesting. Yeah. What? I'm sorry. Uh, when you and I are together, it's like, what is a world possibility? And you and I sitting down exactly. with the same vision of heaven on earth. It's like, yeah, now exactly. I'm having heaven on earth uh, sitting across from you, Mitchell, at the table. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting Absolutely. because I, I was not a spiritualist by intention. Uh, I was actually dragged into it. And now yeah. recognize how powerful it is because yeah. um, my life is a, because it's really different. And I, because there's actually a quantum real. physical basis to it. It's not airy-fairy at all. It's as real That's as the right. noses on our face. But you have to come to that level of understanding of the interconnectedness of all things and that we're really living in a holistic universe, a systems universe. I recently had, Bruce, you'd enjoy this, uh, Frithoff Kaprahan, who has been just one of my all-time heroes, going back to the Tao of Physics. And uh, he and Hazel invited me, Hazel Henderson invited me to take his course on systems thinking. And it was such a ball. I'm going to have him back on to discuss it now that I've gone through the series. And, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. Do you know Fritoff? Are you friendly? Not, not on a personal level. It was interesting because he came out with a book called The Web of Life. That's uh, right. And it was interesting because back then, back then, pre-epigenetics, yes. his whole book was how everything is an open system and everything is connected and communications are open and back and forth between all species. But when he got to the level of the human, he backed off and said, well, humans are closed systems. Uh, oh. And that was when he originally wrote the book. 
Because at that yes. time, it was a closed system because the belief was, no, genes control your life. The genes are in the inside, yes. irrelevant of what's going on on the outside. So you're being controlled by a genetic program, and you're not being influenced by the environment. Uh-huh. But that was pre-epigenetics because epigenetics, sure. the whole thing around says, no, the genes are totally controlled by the environment so that we are an open system. A human is connected to the environment. And our response and perceptions of the environment are internalized and organizing our biology to be a complement to what we perceive. And that's why, geez, if you live in the negative world, then what are you sending (laughs) into your biology? That's right. Uh, Complementary chemistry that will manifest the body that complements that that negative world. Uh, And the option, of course, is you could live in a world of love. And a whole different chemistry in the body results from that with a whole different life experience. So it, it's time Absolutely. for us to wake up and say, This is so we key. Creators. In fact, um, I would love if you would, and I also want to return to the agenda item that we set up at the beginning of looking at the economy. But since we're on a roll here with epigenetics, I would love for you to share that wonderful analogy that you have used so many times of the keyboard and realizing your relationship with the keyboard and the computer and the monitor. (laughs) It's so... That analogy can actually help to launch people into the consciousness of the architecture of the universe. Well, you know, we have to correct an interpretation that people, almost everybody out there has had through their basic education. People are familiar with the term a gene turned on and a gene turned off. That was giving what we call self-actualization to a gene, that genes make decisions. And once you buy that, then you say, well, a cancer wasn't your choice. It was a gene's choice. And if you got a cancer so-called gene, then you could get cancer. It has nothing to do with you, victim. Well, here's a, here's yeah. a shock. Genes are not self-actualizing. A gene cannot turn on and off. A gene has no control over its expression or when it's going to be used or anything about it uh, because we made a mistake. A gene is a blueprint to make a body part called a protein. That's simply what it is. I say, why is it relevant? I say, it is a blueprint. What, what does that mean? I say, well, you go into an architect's office and she's working on some blueprint. And you, you ask her, you say, is your blueprint on or off? And she looks at you, are you crazy? It's a blueprint. It's no on and off. It's on the table. It's on the table. <laughs> but she Only. pulled it out. It didn't pull itself out. You see, right. if blueprints were self-actualizing, then as an architect, you draw the blueprints, you drive by the building site, throw the blueprints into the yard, come back a few <laughs> months later, and you say, look what the blueprints do. There's the building. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's actually, obviously, that's a joke, but the, but the reality is genes are blueprints. They're not on and off. They have to be called in. They have to be selected, and then they can be modified. So the idea is now we recognize the surface of the cell has what are called receptors. And a cell and a human are parallel. So I say, well, where are your receptors? You say, well, I got eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch. Uh, I said, where are these receptors? I said, they're all on the surface. I go, exactly. The cell has molecular receptors like molecular eyes, molecular taste receptors. I go, why is it relevant? Just like you, the world is sensing the environment and the information coming through those receptors is then relayed to the genetics to adjust the gene, the environment, so that you're always living in harmony with the environment. 
Well, if you're living in a healthy environment, then the signals coming in are going to select healthy genes and create a healthy life. But if you're living in a negative environment, then the signals coming in are going to select genes but not make positive out of the genes. Uh, They can make any illness, as we talked about, the nocebo effect. So the surface of the cell is a chip. It's actually uh, a carbon-based chip. It's got every exact complement to a silicon chip. It's got receptors. It's got channels. It's got gates and, and all these things. It's exactly the same. The keyboard that puts data in are the receptors on the surface and the environment, like uh, there's a receptor for calcium, there's a receptor for sugar, there's a receptor for dopamine, pleasure, there's a receptor for uh, you know, cortisol, fear. I say, so whatever's going outside, you hit the keyboard, the keyboard is a chip, and here's the joke, the nucleus is a, is a disk with programs called genes, they're programs. Old belief, genes are read-only. Whatever genes you got, that is your life, okay? That's our old belief. The new understanding is epigenetics is it's read-write. Not only can I pull a gene up, but I can rewrite the expression of the gene. Mm -hmm. And so we now know for every gene in your body, you can make a minimum of 3,000 variations of, uh, uh, of proteins from the same blueprint based on the read-write. And all of a sudden it says, oh, then I'm not locked into a, a pre-program. I said, no, you can write and change any genes. You could come with a mutant gene and make it work normally. <laughs> or in most unfortunate cases, because that's the most cases, we came here with normal genes, healthy genes, and through our interaction with a negative world had written variations that complement the negative world and therefore, our health becomes a complement to our perception. And if you have fear, then you immediately compromise all your health because you're typing on your cells with cortisol, and that's going to pull up fear uh, uh, characters to the system, which yeah. is closing down protection and hiding and shutting down growth. So that's why fear kills. Yeah, so the reality is this. A cell is a programmable chip. I've got <clears throat> 50 trillion of them in my body. My brain is the, uh, the equivalent of the architect, and it sends out the chemistry through the body to engage the cells to make a complement to what the brain perceives. And if we are programmed to look for the negative, then what chemistry is going to be in the body? It's going to be negative. It's not. There it is. Uh, 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 that's it. Uh, uh, and belief so, changes. Right. Change the damn chemistry. <laughs> exactly. Change your chemistry, man. Change your mind. So I'm going to just distill a little bit of what you said so well there to this, that the cell, I'm sorry, the genes are not getting turned on and off, but they are getting selected, as you said. So let's use the right language. And they are becoming, yes. you could say, activated through our human behavior, our human choices, our emotions, our belief systems, and our perception. consciousness, we perception, exactly, um, we are upregulating or not, we are selecting or not one gene out of the, out of the menu over another, either to support, right. and it will be uh, supporting, uh, it's that. almost homeopathic in a way, it's, there's a vibrational relationship, a frequency relationship between what genes getting selected and the behavior that's selecting. 
100%, and that's where the quantum physics comes in. It's a vibration. It's a thought. Yes. A thought is a vibration yes. that pulls up the, the genes. And as we mentioned, again, uh, what is a positive thought? A placebo. What is the result? A healthy, happy life. What's a negative thought? No placebo. What's the result? Sickness and illness. And all of a sudden it says, stop looking at the genes and stop blaming the damn genes. And start looking at <laughs> right. what was the initiating, what's the initiating thought. It's the thought that is translated into chemistry of complementarity. A negative thought exactly. does not produce a positive response. It's as simple as that. And this is what, you know, it, it makes us so sad, Bruce, when we see that uh, that beautiful, wonderful women like Angelina Jolie go to a doctor who doesn't understand a, a, a an iota of what you have been teaching all over the planet for decades now. Not one iota, and they are living in the victim consciousness of genes rule the world. And this beautiful woman had her breasts removed out of fear that she would be replicating fear. what it is her mother had and what her grandmother had. And it's enough because to make you cry because that's just an example hereditary. of what is happening yeah. all over the place. That's yeah. That's the the, the 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 problem with the belief in heredity controlling your life, because since exactly. you didn't select the genes, as far as we know, then all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, my genes are controlling me, and and my life is not my wishes and desires. It's now my program, and I got these genes, and I'm inevitably going to be playing the program. So take the double mastectomy, uh, thinking exactly. you will stop the cancer program. Uh, and the cancer program has nothing to do with genes. There are no cancer genes. There's not one gene that causes cancer. Not one. And yet everybody has to go to cancer gene. I say, why? So I what say, are these people thinking? I mean, these geneticists are not stupid bull. But are, what, what explains how deep down that <laughs> rabbit hole they are? How, how would you explain it? Because these are people who Money. are dedicating their Money. lives. Oh, dear. It's money. It's based on the pharmaceutical company. The pharmaceutical yes. company is the interface of the chemistry that says your genes are bad, but we will make chemistry that will compensate for your bad genes, and mm -hmm. therefore they make a living. And they fund the research. And if you're going to be a research scientist, you can't do it if you don't Need have a money. grant. So if you sat down there and write a grant that I'm going to do mind over genes, I'm going to tell you right now, yes. it's not going to fly in a medical school for a simple reason. The, one of the biggest industries on the entire planet is the pharmaceutical the medical industry. industry. I said, what, right. what is the consequence of what you and I are talking about here? And, I, and the consequence is this. You don't need the drugs. You don't even need the surgeries. You don't, I mean, trauma, right. for sure, that's what medicine does. But sure. outside of that, it's issues on diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease. They fail at this miserably because um, they don't understand that it's not the chemistry of the cells that's doing it. It's the consciousness of the person. And I say, well, what would happen if we taught this in medical school? And here's what the answer is. Then nobody would buy the drugs. And, of course, yes. when you have trillions of dollars invested, you're not about to say, hey, listen, everybody, go out there and learn this so you don't have to buy our product anymore. <laughs> right, just meditate. <laughs> just that's do a little Qigong. You'll so, be fine. <laughs> and call me in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, let's, right. take this, but, uh, let's take this idea, Bruce, of following the money trail to another vitally important piece. 
which is yeah. the domain of war and peace. And that will lead to Whoa. one of the conversations we want to have also, which is about what should be the biological basis of the economy, the use of biomimicry applied to dollars and cents. Well, more. we need more sense, <laughs> more common sense, um, and we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to make the same point. If you ask yourself, why don't we have a world at peace? Like, there you are living in magnificent New Zealand, where they do not even have a military, and somehow they survive. No, no, they thrive. The New Zealanders are thriving. And so what we come to understand is it another program, another propagandized subject that the world is dangerous, it's a scary place, and you better have a military with lots of bullets, etc., etc., in order to live. And when you peel back the layers of this propaganda and this story, you start to see that we've been lied to. And of course, that goes back to the Matrix, and are you on the inside, or are you on the outside? And Bruce has been helping us get to the outside for a long time. <laughs> but could you just comment on this? Yeah, well, what's the driving force of this world today? Money. Money is yeah. energy. Life is energy. That's a, you know, let's, without the currency part, let's just talk about life is energy. You have energy, you have life. You have no energy, you have no life. In our physical world that we live in, uh, energy is monetized. How much money you have is how much energy you have. And all of a sudden you start to people jockeying to control the energy, the money. Uh, and then when you do it without any controls, it's parasitic. A parasite gets in your system and sucks your energy out and doesn't give you anything back. Yeah. And our corporate leadership and our conventional corporations, not the B Corps, which you talk about, Correct. but the conventional yeah. corporations, uh, what is the, the primary rule of a corporation by law? And this is the important part, because by law, the primary uh, control of a corporation is to make a profit for the shareholders. Purpose. If you fail mm -hmm. on making a profit for the shareholders, you can be released and the corporation could just fall apart. And so right. then I say, you can be the sued. There's liability. Company? There's, there's, there's liability, right? So you say, well, the function of the pharmaceutical company in a utopian world is, oh, to make chemistry to make us healthy. I go, utopian world. The world we live in, the, the function of the pharmaceutical company is to make a profit for the shareholders. So the reality is, are they looking out for the interests of the patient or are they looking out for the interests of the shareholder? And the answer is very clear. Yes. The patients are irrelevant. Yes. As long as they keep buying the drugs, then the shareholders win, yes. and that was, oh, then the corporation's doing its job. So the corporation had no function in, in its uh, moral – there is no moral requirement in a corporation. You make money at whatever the cost is, uh, and you can sell drugs like statins. Now, interesting people, how many people take statins? It's not like, oh, take it for this week. It's take it for your whole life. Uh, and I go, well, how effective are statins? Less – this is the cool part. Less than 3% of the people taking statins for their whole life have any positive benefit. And in fact, it's the other way around. 23% of the people taking statins had negative side effects that cost them more on their health than if they didn't take the statins. So the whole idea is this. You're selling statins to everybody knowing only 3% are going to have a benefit and that 23% are going to get sick. 
Do you think that would stop them from selling statins? Absolutely not. Why? You hook a person into statins, that's an income for the rest of your life, of their life. As long as they live, you're going to make money. Uh, 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 these are the kinds of things that we have to, to realize. That, it's a pure oh God, money They're, they're selling this. Absolutely. Exactly. So if we were to uh, do what is most intelligent, which would be to base our economy and life altogether on nature herself, on the notions ah. underlying biomimicry. Tell yes. us, walk us through what that looks like, Bruce, what our economy can look like. Okay. First thing we have to recognize is, uh, and we mentioned this in our pre-conversation there, is that uh, humans have this characteristic that anything less than a human in, uh, in biology is less intelligent. And as you go down the smaller yes. and smaller, hierarchy. Levels, the less and less intelligence, and then you get down to cells and you talk about intelligence, what intelligence? And then I have to say, stop. A human body was not made by humans. A human body was made by 50 trillion cells. The cells made us. And if you look at the complexity of human biology and human, what goes on in a biological system that we can't even duplicate in our industrial world, the efficiency of what's going on, uh, and then you have the audacity to say that, well, their cells are not intelligent. I go, well, in that lack of intelligence, they created a human being. <laughs> so I think I would give them a little more credit. So uh, yeah, right. the idea is this is why the word biomimicry becomes important because we're beginning to realize if we want our technology to be sustainable, then look at life. Life has been sustainable for 3 billion years, but it conforms to to there, there are principles and rules and things of life. So biomimicry is, well, if we can dissect those principles out of life, then we can apply them to our life, and, of course, then we should live in harmony with that. So I say, okay, what about economy? And I go, well, there is an economy because uh, economy means energy. Uh, in our human economy, uh, we put money, but money is a token of energy. The more money you have, the more energy you are carrying. Uh, the more energy you have, the more life that you end up having. Uh, and so basically it says, oh, well then, in a, in a body, there's a currency, and it's called ATP. It's a molecule that is a unit of energy as a physical unit, but it's translated in energy when digested. And so the body... Uh, coins its economy in a, in a molecule called ATP. As much as we put in a dollar bill, they put in ATP. So I say, oh, well, so there's an economy. And I say, yeah, but I say, but look how the economy works, which is completely different than our human economy. Number one, there's been a false assumption that we've been living by, which is destroying us, and that is that the economy should be bigger every year. It should grow at like 10 to 15% a year. And I go, okay, um, does this true in biology? I go, absolutely not. Why? Because organisms reach a certain state after they grow to maturity. Now they're mature. The economy of a mature body is different than the economy of a growing body. The economy of a growing body requires a lot more energy. But once you're mature, then the growth stops, but maintenance occurs. So I still need energy, but I'm not growing, but I'm maintaining. And what happens if you violate this? That's right. And if you violate this, which they've done by genetically manipulating animals like a rat that I usually use in my lectures and show the picture, 
they 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 have a rat that does not know uh, satiation, meaning it doesn't know when to stop eating because it keeps eating and eating and eating. So that's the model of our economy. I said, what does it do? It keeps growing and growing. I said, then what does it do? I said, it gets so big and fat that its little tiny legs don't even touch the ground anymore. It's like a big, mm. it's like a big giant blimp with little legs on it. I say, it's going to die. It can't live this way. It bypassed the growth thing where it's supposed to stop to make a healthy body, and now it's made the sick body that's going to die. And I go, well, why is that important? Because number one, first rule, there is no such thing as continued growth that's against life. And so any economy that says it has to be bigger next year than it was the previous year and then bigger and bigger and bigger is anti-biology, number one. Number two, as I said, there is the equivalent of money in the body. It's called ATP. And I go, then wealth means, oh, we have excess ATP. And I go, well, yeah, but there is, by definition, no wealth in a 50 trillion cell community until every cell has the basics of life. In other words, uh, you can't have a, a liver cell saying, hey, yeah, look how much uh, ATP I earned today. Oh, oh screw the skin cell. That, uh, who cares about the skin cell? I don't care. You know, you don't care. I go, yeah, but every cell is required to make it work. So if you don't take care of the skin cell and make sure it has enough food to live by, it is protected and safe and able to do its job, then you're failing the system. So here's the rule, first rule. A human body with 50 trillion citizens has no collective wealth until every cell has the basics of life. If I look at our human population, I say there should be no human on a street. There should be no human looking for a piece of food to get through the day. Until every human is fed, has an ability to sleep and be safe, uh, and have access to water and air, until that happens, there can be no wealth in the system. Because if somebody's stealing the wealth and letting those cells go short, uh, then you open the body for infection and disease. So the reality is human body economics one, level one, no wealth till everybody has the basics covered. But once everybody's life is covered, then cells can start to accumulate independently their own wealth, which is also related to their functions. Uh, a nerve cell has a different function than a skin cell. A nerve cell can have a lot more wealth because if the nerve cell dies, you're in more trouble than if the skin cell dies. <laughs> so uh, a cell can yes. accumulate wealth, but it doesn't ha a, a nerve cell will not have extra wealth if a skin cell doesn't have food. The nerve cell only accumulates. So phase one, everybody gets the basics from the first level of economy. Phase two, when there's enough that everybody can survive – Phase two is anything beyond that, that's wealth. But in that case, then cells can accumulate wealth. And I say, yeah, but accumulating is physical. It's just like having cash. Uh, it's like Scrooge McDuck from the Donald Duck comic books uh, with bins of cash. You've you got to have cash. It's physical. I say, ah, there's a limit to how much physical molecules of ATP can be stored inside a cell because if you store too much, you're interfering with the function of the system. So a cell can gain X amount of ATP beyond, uh, you know, the necessity of survival. And that's the second level where now individual cells have wealth. And then I go, now the third level is simply this. And the third level is once the cells are filled up and they can't have any more ATP, it doesn't mean the system doesn't make more energy, but any energy it makes ATP after that goes into the community bank. 
And the community bank, yeah. in the our common. case, is called FAT. FAT is stored energy. It's a bank. It doesn't belong to yeah. any particular cell. It belongs to the entire system. So if uh, the leg is broken, the liver cells say, hey, wait, are you going to use my ATP to fix the leg? No, no. we got a bank. <laughs> the bank will fix yeah. it. So three it's levels so of economy. Of course. Yeah. There's three levels of economy that we're not fulfilling. And that when you get individuals, 1%, take 90% of the, of the wealth of the system, leaving everyone else with nothing, that, that's death in a biological system. That is death to a culture system. The fact is this. First, everybody has to be assured of a basic life. If you can get everybody assured of basic life, then we can start accumulating money. And then again, how many billions of dollars does an individual need to get everything they could ever imagine on this planet? The answer is not too many. <laughs> so I say, oh, so Bill Gates has got $60 billion. How much does he need to get anything he ever wanted out of life? Jeez, if he used a billion dollars, you can get any damn thing. So what was the point? Right. What's the other $59 billion? And that is he's stolen that from the system. Yes. That there are people in Africa that got no food. Uh, there are projects that we can't fund because the money is being held by few people that are keeping it for themselves. I go, that's the death of a system. So we want to thrive as a civilization, a culture. Then there's an understanding that you have to do biomimicry. Look how biology has created currency and how that currency is distributed and how it's used because living systems have been here for billions of years. They've worked it out. Humans have been here a couple <laughs> yes. hundred thousand years and may not be here at the end of the century. So it yes. says until we learn to live in harmony like all the rest of the organisms on this planet, we are sacrificing our own uh, opportunity to be alive. And that's what we're right. facing. Our own species, right literally our own species. I would revert for a moment, Bruce. I so appreciate all the way you laid that out to the Chinese medical, traditional Chinese medical model which talks about the life force or chi. And when it's not moving, when it's not circulating, it becomes stagnant and the blood becomes congealed. That means it's static. It's staying in one place. It's pooling, if you want to think of it that way. And it's not generating more life. It's not generating more vitality for the environment. For, I'm sorry, for the organism himself or herself. And that means for the environment because it's a seamless relationship even though we have this membrane called skin that separates us. That's only on one level of reality if we want to revert back to quantum physics for a moment. There is one continuous systemic whole and there's just the appearance of separation, which, of course, many of our spiritual texts have been telling us for the longest time. And quantum physics is actually borne out mathematically. So you cannot have death in one part of the system and expect thriving life everywhere else. It's all completely exactly. connected. Exactly. Yeah. And this is why wholeness uh, and holism is yes. the, uh, 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 the direction and the intention of survival. And holism just doesn't mean holism in your own body. It's holism in your community nope. and holism in the web of life and how we communicate with the web exactly. of life. So separating ourselves from the web of life and separating ourselves from each other 
uh, is expressing itself today as a, a death in the system and a collapse of the civilization uh, because we haven't done biomimicry. And once we do, it's like, well, if 50 trillion cells can live in harmony and be healthy in one happy body, what the hell about a few billion people on this planet? It means exactly. a few billion people is nothing compared to 50 trillion can you citizens. imagine? Exactly. You know, you're reminding me of uh, a fellow I used to be quite friendly with, Horst Reckelbacher, who was uh, the um, – <laughs> he used to be an Austrian hairdresser. It's funny to say that because he – developed that amazing company using essential oils, uh, which he ended up selling for a humongous amount of several hundred million dollars to, I think it was Estee Lauder. Uh, The name of his company is just escaping me for the moment. But I had him on the show back in the 90s. And Horst was one of those entrepreneurs who understood all that we were saying. So he hired the indigenous people in the Amazon to cultivate certain herbs for him for his uh, and flowers for his oils and all of that. And he paid them amply with love and a sense spirit of generosity. And he wrote a book about how the corporation is really a biological reflection when it's run properly of life itself. And that it should be following the principles. This may have even predated biomimicry, I'm not sure. But, you know, he was saying how for a corporation to be effective and healthy and successful, it needed to mimic, reflect biology. Well, it is. Think about it. Every person who works in a corporation is a cell in one living organism. And therefore, a corporation comprised of human cells must have the dynamics of human biology. Otherwise, it won't work. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Well, I am so glad that you are also an economist. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, Your wise and holistic view of understanding how biology is and should be reflected in every aspect of our life in order to propagate more life. Bios, as we say in ancient Greek, you know, um, we want to see life propagated everywhere, and it needs to happen in the economy. So, hence, Absolutely. this is where we are, Bruce Lipton. I'm, I'm just so thrilled to have you on again and sharing your light and wisdom and consciousness with our audience. And I'm only sharing what I learned from the cells, so it's not even mine. You know, I, it's like <laughs> that's watch, right. It's not watch even yours. Cells for for years, watch them exactly. for years, and they will show you the nature of community and harmony and happiness in a culture dish. And when you understand the principles that control that, they're the exact same principles where we as humans, as human cells, uh, and it's interesting because our evolution has always been focused on the evolution of the the fittest individual. Uh, and it turns out when you understand the nature of cellular evolution, it's not based on the individual, it's based on the community. Uh, uh, you know, I always joke about it. I say, look, if so we have important. to go into to the universe and talk to God and say, hey, uh, listen, God, I want to defend humans. I know we're going extinct, but let me, let me give you the qualities of humans. And I stand up there and I say, well, you know, we had Beethoven 
and we had Einstein, and, and we rattle off these individuals, and, and then the yeah. judge listening to this goes, well, that's very nice, but it's really what the whole mass of you is doing, not what the individuals are doing. And all of a sudden, so evolution wasn't based on individuals. Evolution is based on community. And we yes. are evolving from a belief of separation, Darwinian, survival of the fittest. I, I, it's okay for me and screw you. That's Darwinian. But did Darwin uh, himself he, actually, I, I understood that Darwin himself actually did not coin that phrase. That was attributed to no, him afterwards. Yes, but he, he created the concept of it, which he was actually based on Thomas Malthus, who said yes. animals breed faster than plants, so pretty soon there'll be more animals than food, and as a result, there's too many animals, not enough food, then by definition, there's going to have to be some competition, and there's going to be winners and losers. Darwin took that principle, built it into the theory of evolution, okay? So it's really oh, Malthusian. Okay. Uh, yes. but, but the issue about that was uh, that was a premise that was totally false because it turns out animals do not proliferate that way. Uh, in a conventional real world, two parents provide for two offspring. Stability. It never kept yes. growing and growing and growing. It reached a level where it worked, and then two would die and two new ones would come in. Uh, and yet we're in this no, continuous growth, continuous growth, and now the population is growing and growing and growing but it's not in harmony, and it's creating our own death warrant by, by uh, not recognizing we, we weren't designed sure. to be competitors. We're designed to be uh, uh, fellows in a community uh, to share the planet and each other uh, and by misdirection. Mis it wasn't yes. Darwin. It was Darwin's followers, <laughs> okay? As yes. soon as Newton... Newton was a spiritualist and, a, and an alchemist, but his followers were not. And they would talk about yes. his other activities. Of, well, that, that's his weird stuff. We don't want to talk about Shrug it, it off. And the fact that, well, right. he, yeah. And the same with Darwin. Uh, it wasn't Darwin. He said that Darwin bought into the story, but he didn't come out with survival of the fittest. That was added. But the reality yes. was that was his storyline if he didn't say the words anyway. Uh, and, yes. and the Darwinian theory helped us for a period of time to get out of some religious beliefs. But continuing in a path of Darwinian evolution is, is toward death. There's no way out uh, because it's based on competition. And as we know, a garden is the essence of cooperation. We had a garden. We got in it with competition. And now there's no garden. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And something. also a forest yeah. is... The entire ecosystem is exactly a, an example of cooperation and community among the species of all different colors, sizes, shapes, genders, and you name it, you know. Everything. So the, uh, the examples are, are fecund, if you will. <laughs> They're ever-growing and yes. flourishing. We just have to catch up to and, that. And it's, it's a time for us to, to, to pay attention to this because – uh, if we follow the corporate model, which is a, it's like a parasite, its idea is to make energy off of you, but didn't necessarily, by definition, give you anything back. If it can make money and give you nothing, that would be the best corporation, according to principle. Exactly. It says, geez, I made all this money, and we didn't even spend anything. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, but, of course, that, that is not, oh, my God. that's not viable. Not viable. That's right. 
Well, Dr. Bruce Lipton, I want to just thank you again for being on our show today and sharing your your wisdom and intelligence and your cells with us. Thank you for sharing your cells. (laughs) I love visiting your cells, you know? (laughs) Really? Well, you're a wonderful partner, a wonderful friend, and uh, uh, really a a benefit to our planet because uh, knowledge is power. A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And we have been systematically deprived of the knowledge that can give us vitality and life on this planet. And you are a fountain, a resource for giving the world this information. And therefore, there is no higher calling than to do what you're doing, do what I'm doing. And that is what? Lifting up our fellows to say you're, you're, you're in the wrong path, man. That's <laughs> and right. we can thrive together. Wake up. So thank you. So thank, thank you, so you for this opportunity to speak to this cultural creative community, and thank you for uh, for being my dear friend, Mitchell. Thank you. Beautiful, Bruce Lipton. Thank you. Absolutely love having you. So everyone, this is our show for this week. I'll be airing this again on Wednesday, although you can pick it up at our website anytime at abetterworld.tv. And uh, Bruce will also have it available for his website as well. In fact, why don't you give us your website in closing so people can go and visit? Oh, it's so difficult, really, Mitchell. It's (laughs) brucelipton.com. You got it, folks. You got it. It's almost as difficult as a better world. <laughs> a better world. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember that we are a 501c3. We're a nonprofit organization. Your contributions to us help keep us sustained. That can be done right on our website. And just get on our newsletter. And if you need any other counseling or coaching services, feel free to get in touch with me at mjr at abetterworld.net. MJRBetterWorld.net, and I love hearing your feedback anyway. So be in touch, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Hello. All right. One second.